Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the bootcamp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. This time, we've gotten a little bit behind. We've been a couple of weeks ahead, and then life has gotten crazy. And so we're actually week of, and when this goes live, you and I each will be on our way to Nashville for, at least for me, the last replant trip of 2022. What about, is this the last one for you? It is, Jimbo. It's been a long and winding road. And I remember I was looking back for the Facebook memories. I like that feature. You know, you can kind of see yeah. where you've been and what you've done and and that sort of thing. And uh, about this time last year, we were enjoying a dinner in New Orleans with our folks from the Korean Baptist Convention. And uh, that made me think of char-grilled oysters. And uh, hey, I'm looking forward to this summer because if you are a replanter and you are part of the SBC, the event's going to be in NOLA. And Jimbo, I, I've heard you're going to rent a double-decker bus and take us on a restaurant tour. Is that correct? Like I've done one bus tour around New Orleans, and I'm not telling that story on this podcast. He ah, ah, ah. told me about that. I wish he could. We may have to have a special uh, subscriber section of uh, the boot camp for that story. That's pretty funny. <laughs> You'll have to prod that one out of me one day. <laughs> I see I see. you're getting to hang out with Daisy Pop downstairs today. Indeed, Jimbo. So I, I just want to apologize in advance. If you hear a squeaking noise, that's her green ball. And if you hear something crash, I, I'm, I've got my headphones on. So it means I'm running through the house trying to wrangle Daisy Pup. She's nine months old. She's about 50, I would say probably 53, 54 pounds now. And she is a snuggly, sweet dog. But Jimbo, can I just say she is mischievous? Yeah. How so? Well, she likes to take anything that we've left on the kitchen table or the dresser or the kitchen counters. She hops up there and grabs it. And then it's the chase is on. She likes to, to run through the house. And uh, Jimbo, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a 55-year-old man run, but it is, uh, it's not the best sight in the world. And so I think she takes great glee in it. One time she grabbed my phone. Uh, in the backyard, I was doing some yard work or something, had my phone on one of the patio tables. Jimbo, she she grabbed it, and then I came back in the yard through the gate, and she was across the yard staring at me, saying, come on, and the race was on. So Barb was watching from the kitchen and laughing. That's awesome. I heard a comedian once talk about how uh, we talk about that you have the dog, and you're the dog's master, but the comedian challenged that if one of you, if there's a relationship between two beings, and one takes care of the other one's food, bathes them, scoops up their poop. Which which one of them is the master? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in this case, let me introduce you to Master Daisy Pup, or whatever we would call her that would be gender appropriate for a female dog. Well, it's 2022. You got to be really careful about gender appropriate. There's there's a lot of options. I know. You, there are a lot of options. You got to You got to Probably even for dogs. Speaking of who's the master and who owns what, Bob, today, what I wanted to dive into is a conversation I've been having with a lot of people lately in regard to the importance of having a stewardship mentality and recognizing as ministry leaders, it's vital that we remember that we are 
stewards and we don't own anything. We've got to shift the culture in our church from a ownership culture to a stewardship culture. Yeah, I think that's great because so many times when we're consulting the dying church, we hear this phrase, my church Mm -hmm. or our church. And I understand what people are saying by that. And, and I think we've got some good, sweet people who are, are trying to, to say the church that we belong to in this location, but there's a fine line when that starts to transfer into, this is my church and this is what I want for it. And, uh, and so that's a challenge for our replanters and revitalizers. On the For the Church blog, I, I found an article talking about this, doing a little research called Stewardship, Not Ownership by Mike Ayers. And he says, uh, when we believe the things we possess are actually ours or exist because of us, they begin to control and define us rather than the other way around. Consequently, our security and our identity becomes rooted in them. And then we are unable to separate ourselves from them or release them or trust God with them because to do so would mean to lose ourselves. This was never God's intention for the gifts that he gives creation. And in this article, he wasn't specifically talking about ministry leadership, but just things in general in our life. I do think over time, we end up kind of taking more of an ownership mindset than we should. I I think it's probably one of the biggest reasons that change can be very difficult in a church because it's you're changing something that feels tied to my identity. And when it's really just part of the infrastructure, it's just a program or a policy or a piece of furniture or carpet or something. But we get very emotionally attached. Like it becomes part of how we identify ourselves as a believer, how we identify our our faith in, in that church. And so this is, this is a really hard thing, but I, I'm more and more convinced that it's incredibly important. I agree with you. And most of the times when we talk about this topic, we, we target our focus on the congregation, folks who've been around for 15, 20 years plus that's declined. But we, we also need to flip the mirror back and the focus back on us because as a replanter or revitalizer, we can have in our minds the congregation that we want the Lord to, to build or that he, we want him to use us to build. And in the same way, we can end up feeling like, hey, this, this ain't your church, Aunt Sue or Uncle Bill, but this also isn't my church, the church that I have in my head, right? This is, this is God's church. And so between his work and both of us, as we move forward, we're going to see his church come about as a part of the congregation participates in it and affirms it as the pastor and the leaders lead it towards that direction. So I, I want to just maybe make that note from the outset that this, this is for both sides of us, both sides of the aisle for, for us uh, each to understand our part in it. Yeah, absolutely. As ministry leaders, it's vital that we remember that we are stewards. We are not owners, uh, but we are stewards. We don't own anything. So we've got to shift, make that shift in our own leadership, and we've got to disciple and shepherd our churches that we're leading to make that shift in the culture of the church as well. I've been asked to preach at uh, several churches lately that uh, a few of them I thought uh, this was a concept I really felt like the Lord was leading me to point them to. So I started praying for a great passage that could help illustrate that. And I landed on the parable of the talents. And so Bob, what I'd like to do is really build kind of from here, less of the exactly how to, but more of the, I want to, I want to make the biblical argument for today on why stewardship is important through the parable talents, very well-known parable in Matthew 25. I think it's great, Jimbo. I'm all about the Bible and uh, we should probably consult it 
as we think about leading the church. And so I'm looking forward to this Bible exposition and let's go, let's do it. Well, so one, let's talk about the context, right? Because context is king. This is part of what's called the Olivet or eschatological discourse. At the end of chapter 24, right before this, Jesus told the disciples that no one knows the day or the hour when he will return. And then he goes into a series of stories and parables that talk about what that will look like when he returns and how to be ready. And so chapter 25 begins with the parable of the 10 virgins waiting for the bridegroom. And then he transitions from that parable into the one that we have today. And so I, the first point I want to make on that is if you look at verse 14, so it's Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For, there's, in verse 14, we see that uh, we have been entrusted with gifts. It says, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. For it is just like a man. What is it? What's the kingdom of God and the return of Christ? What is that like? It's like this man is about to go on a journey, calls his servants and entrusts his possessions to them. Well, Bob, Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready. But what does it mean to be ready? And I think this text kind of sets us up for that in this conversation. Yeah, th there's a, a lot to that word entrust and thinking through that. We've been entrusted as individuals with the gifts that we've been given through the spirit, through education, through training, the church, the, the church members, the same thing. And then we've also been entrusted with a place and a facility and some resources. So a lot of times churches may doubt that they've been given much, but they've been given much in one another, but they've also been given much in their location and their resource. And we see this particularly when church planters are looking for a building. One of the things they say is, man, just give me an address, right? I'm tired of meeting in the school, the strip mall, the, you know, the backyards, all the basement, all that kind of stuff. And so Let's, let's just reacquaint re ourselves with the fact that, that facilities, regardless of their condition, are pretty valuable. And if you invest in that locale and that place and that facility that the Lord's given you, and it's, it's part of the deal, it's, it's part, of, part of the gift, part of, part of the resources. Yeah, I mean, so Jesus has entrusted us. 2 Timothy 1.14 tells us that we're to guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. But I, I, I'm fairly confident most of our listeners if not all of our listeners are very familiar with this passage and they know that there are three servants that are given things and none of them are given the same amount. And I think it's a good principle for us to realize to help us not fall into the trap of comparison that not everyone is gifted with the same amount of resources or things. Uh, Matthew 25, 15, to one, he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on a journey. Bob, as a young man, the first time I heard this story, I really thought it meant talents. Like some people he gave the ability to juggle. Some people he gave the ability to sing. Some people he gave, it, you know, I started like, what, what talents did, did God give me? I can't carry a tune. I can't juggle. I can't, uh, I don't, I don't know that I've got a lot of talents, but that, I, I learned. Bro, you can spin it. You, you can spin a story like nobody I've ever met in my life, Jimbo. I think you have the talent of storytelling. I don't think it's a spiritual gift. But it's a talent. And then, you, you, man, you can fire up some chicken wings, too. I'm telling you what, brother. You got the ability to talent to cook. To cook. But I, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. No, that's what this passage is about. And there, look, there's a lot of debate on how much money a talent is. Here's the conclusion I've come to. A talent is a very large amount of money. <laughs> it's a lot. People love to get into weird debates about how much money. I don't think the exact amount is important other than it is a very large amount of money. And I do think it's important to recognize that it is a large amount. And here's why. 
Because even the guy who got one talent got a lot of money. Mm. Like none of the three servants were given like pennies. You know, some would say that a talent is like 20 years wages. Wow. So even the guy who got one talent got 20 years wages. Bob, if I gave you a gift of 20 years wages right now, would you complain? No, I'd be headed to a beach somewhere, Jimbo. I would maybe uh, buy a VRBO and <laughs> rent it out on occasion and do all that and then do ministry out of that and uh, make it a, a retreat for pastors who've had a hard time in their church. So if you're a 20-talent person out there, if you're, if you're, if you're out there, you want to you know. I appreciate that you're ready to invest it because uh, if you don't invest it, then you are the wicked and lazy servant. I know. He just buried it. So I think that that's consistent with your exegesis here. That if Jimbo, if you gave me a coin, unless it was a Bitcoin, but I think they're even losing their value now. But if you, if you just gave me a coin and wanted to keep it safe, I probably wouldn't bury it. But if I had 20 years worth of wages, I'd need to make sure they were secure somewhere. Absolutely. Hey, look, not only have we been entrusted with gifts, but not everyone gets the same amount. A couple of passages come to my mind to even demonstrate this. Ephesians 4, 7 says, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12, 3, it says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. And Bob, as we look at what God has given each of us to steward, it's really easy to fall into the trap of comparison and wish that we had been given the same things to steward as somebody else. But I think it's really important to recognize that God's probably, and by probably I say that snarkily, smarter than you. And he's got some pretty good reasons for why he entrusted you, what he entrusted you with. Yeah. And I, man, that's such a good point. And I think we forget that. And one of the things I, I have a really good friend who I've done a lot of project work with, and we think differently and we operate differently. And one of the things that is a typical interaction is after we've been working together with some folks on a project, facilitating discussion, et cetera. After the event, and we're kind of wrapping up and saying, well, how'd that go? He, he always affirms something in me that is unique about me and different from him. Mm-hmm. And he will say, man, I am so thankful for you because you're wired up like this. And God made you to do some incredible, wonderful thing that I couldn't do at all. Right. And I love that the affirmation of that because it, it does help me just rejoice in the fact that God has gifted me in a particular way to do certain things, but not everything, right? And so I think the older I get, the more I realize, man, if if I can just lean into what I'm uniquely gifted to do mm-hmm. and be confident in that and let the Lord bless that, then man, that is so life-giving and free because I'm not trying to be someone I'm not, right? And so I always say this, like in your 20s, you think you can do everything in your 30s you think you have to do everything in your 40s you realize that you can't do everything and in your 50s where i'm at right now you realize what you can do and you focus on that right so that's good man i just i i i love that point and and i i just want to celebrate the guys out here that are thinking man i'm just not as talented as somebody maybe not like they're talented but you have some gifting and ability uh, in a particular area that's unique to you. And so, man, I pray for them that somebody would see that and affirm it and they would rejoice in it. Absolutely. Look, God didn't skimp on you, man. He mm. he gave you things that he is given you to steward, not to own, to steward, to use and invest for him. And so we all know that 
the the great phrase we get to hear out of this passage is well done good and faithful servant i think we all want to hear that i think we all want to stand before the lord one day mm-hmm. and hear well done good and faithful servant but what do we have to do to be told well done uh i mean it, it indicates some sort of done some sort of action so if we continue in the passage verses 16 through 18 the man who had received five talents went put them to work and earned five more in the same way a man with two talents earned two more the man who had received one talent went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here, Bob. One, the characters in this story show us that our behavior really displays our beliefs. The way I like to say that is we do what we believe. Uh, If you want to know what we believe, just look at what we do. And this passage really kind of echoes the questions of Jesus' brother James from the second chapter of James when he says in 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works. And then James goes on in verse 17 to say, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So in other words, we do what we believe. And then James concludes chapter two by saying, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so I gotta ask, Bob, can we rightly be told, well done, if we aren't doing anything? Well, I mean, that's a pretty easy question. No, you know, I think Jimbo, have you ever met the guy that, that always is talking about what he's going to do, but he never does it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's not a more frustrating conversation that you can have. Like the first time, you know, you're sharing an egg in a hole, you know, you're enjoying a good breakfast and he's going to, he's telling you about what he's going to do. And the next time you meet him, you meet him at a lunch place and you're enjoying a slice of deep dish pizza and. He's got a, he's built on that, or maybe he's shifted directions. And so you're like, okay, all right. He's evaluating. He's kind of learning. And and then five or six meetings and 50 pounds later, this fella is still talking and he ain't doing. Yeah. So yeah. don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. You know, we can, there, there are times I think, Bob, we could just rename this podcast. Don't be that guy. <laughs> We need to, we need to do a whole series on don't, that. Don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy or don't be a guy like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think one of the important things for us to recognize the difference between the first two servants and the third servant is not just that they were obedient, but they had a belief that led to obedience. And that belief came from their relationship with the master. As you can see, is it, goes on to talk about what we'll, we'll get to more of the text in a minute. Uh, but the master, what does the master say? Share in your master's joy, right? Like they, there's something about, they believed that this master was a generous man and that, but the third one seems to have different motives. And so let's look at that real quick. How should we live in order to be called good and faithful servants? Well done, good and faithful servants. Look at 23 through uh, 19 through 23. After a long time, The master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, master, you gave me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And the man with the two talents also approached and he said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Uh, I think it's a big piece to share in your master's joy. I mean, that's in John 15. It tells us to 
you know, this whole section about he is the vine, we are the branches, abide in him, abide in his word, abide in his love. But what does it say later in John 15? I tell you all these things so that your joy may be complete and my joy may be in you. These two servants, if behavior really does tell us what you believe and who you are, look at the behavior of this master. This master is joyful and generous. He is not who the third servant's going to make him out to be. Mm -hmm. He is joyful and he's the two servants, the first two, they didn't know when he was coming back exactly or what that would look like, but they believed that he would return and would reward their faithfulness. And Hebrews 11, six tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. And so part of a stewardship mentality, I think, Bob, is understanding that we have, we have been entrusted with something. We don't know when our master is coming back, but we believe in him and we believe that he's going to return. And we believe that when he returns, he will reward our faithfulness. Yeah. So you're going to either operate by faith or by fear. And then I would add a, a second, a third category out of frustration, mm. right? So faith is believing that God's word says what it says, and they will come true, that God will build his church, that God has equipped you, that God has called you, all those things that we would say this, this long in the faith category to remind yourself of. Fear is the antithesis of that. Is this church going to survive? Is God going to work through me? Can I do this? You know, all of those sorts of things. And then frustration is this ain't going how I want it to go, right? And, and I think sometimes looking back on my replanting journey, I operated by faith. I also operated in fear and I operated out of frustration. And I think probably every pastor could say that there were moments that, that were like that for them. So I think that ground yourself back to that, the standard of faith, right? Like operate by faith, like believe that, believe what God has said. Believe in his word, believe in the scriptures to inform you about the work and believe in, in the fact that God has called you and equipped you for that specific place, for this particular time, and that your giftings and your skills and your abilities and the resources that are around you are going to be effective for what he's called you to do there. That's a good word. As, look, as, as leaders in ministry, as believers, uh, our stewardship is based on the fact that our master is returning and that we want to share in his joy. It doesn't, doesn't, have, doesn't need to be a fearful waiting for the master to return. This is a, I can't wait for him to return. And so what do, what do we do uh, in the meantime? Well, we are faithful with what he's given us. So let's, let's land the plan a little bit on the third servant. What does it look like when we don't do that, when we, when we live by fear rather than by faith? If you look at the last few verses, 24 through 30, it says, the man who had received one talent, also approached and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off, and I hid your talent in the ground, and see, you have what is yours. As Master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant out into the outer darkness, 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bob, this took a turn. Like this, <laughs> we went from share the joy of your master to throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness. Yeah, that means he's going to get the replant from Gehenna, right? So there's he, there he goes. <laughs> Man, this takes a big, big turn. Here's the deal. And this is, we can laugh about this on the podcast and, and we, we alluded to it from the front end. It is hard not to shift into the ownership mentality, especially when you've been a part of a church for a really long time or when you're a visionary leader and you're convinced your visionary ideas are the best ideas. Either one of those mm -hmm. leads you into thinking that you own things. And when you think you own things, you forget the point was getting to share in the joy of the master. That's the point. Mm -hmm. And and just so just replanter, revitalizer, as you're listening to this, we're coming towards the end of the year. And so you're probably in an evaluative state. And you're probably looking back on your year and you're probably not seeing the metrics you wanted to see. Chances are, as you look at the numbers, you're thinking, man, I really had hoped this year would go a lot better than it has. Mm -hmm. Well, man, it wasn't yours. Don't measure what you've done off of results that you have. The point of the story isn't how much they return to the master. It's that they were faithful with what he gave him and they knew that they were stewards, not owners. <laughs> Don't live by fear. And to the church member of a struggling, dying church that's having a hard time letting go, and there's a really hard ch challenge I read in a commentary with, from D.A. Carson about this. And it says, it's not enough for Jesus' followers to just hang in there and wait for the end. They must see themselves as servants who improve what their master entrusts to them. Failure to do so proves they cannot really be valued disciples at all. This story ends with a hard challenge and a hard rebuke, but I think it's pretty serious. And so we try to be lighthearted on the podcast, but I think it's super important that we make sure as leaders, we have a stewardship mindset, not an ownership mindset, and that we are cultivating that within the culture of the congregations that God has entrusted to us. Yeah. I mean, that quote from D.A. Carson is standing out to me in this regard. And I want to say this is as kindly as gently, but also with a little bit of a prophetic edge to it. We've got some, some pastors. I know some pastors, probably our listeners know some pastors who, and your goal is just, I'm, I just got to hang on and I've just got to do Sunday after Sunday and I've got to preach. And I think that's can be a worthy goal, but at some point that's, that ceases to be the call just to, just to preach a sermon just to do the bare minimum, just to wait till Jesus comes back. Maybe it's time to be courageous and say, the best thing I can do as a steward of what God's given me is to step out of the way and to hand this over to somebody who can now take it up and take it to where the Lord wants them to take it to. And for me just to step out of that situation. And so then there's no shame in that. And I think God would smile upon that and honor that if you're just hanging on, just struggling and just trying just to keep, you know, something going, but you're like that third servant. You just, you're fearful, you're frustrated, you're hurting. You just feel like I got to, I just got to stay. I have no other option. Well, you do have another option. Be a faithful steward. And sometimes faithful stewardship means realizing that it's time to step out of the assignment that you're in and wait until God does something in your life to lead you somewhere else. 
Yeah. And I think part of it comes down to forgetting who the master is. The third servant seemed to really go astray in his perception of who the master was. The first two really knew who he was. They knew that he was generous and joyful. But the third master seemed to have some other picture in his head. And it's one of the dangers of an ownership mentality is we end up misconstruing who God is and who we are. Mm -hmm. So replaying to revitalizer is you get into a natural season of evaluation and reset towards the end of the year. Make sure you have a stewardship mindset. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.